Hi, and uh, hello and welcome to this, which is our the first um, free webinar of our um, 2016 Smart Building series, following on from uh, the ones that we did, did last year. And again, um, what we're going to try and do is do one uh, webinar per month, each focusing on a specific area of technology uh, in buildings. Uh, and also, I'm pleased to announce that we um, that we have Tridium, uh, who have kindly agreed to to sponsor this year's webinars, which means that uh, we can actually continue to provide them for free. So, uh, yeah, thanks to to Tridium. And if you want uh, more information about their services, then uh, go to tridium.com. Uh, but anyway, on with uh, today and today's topic, which is uh, why smart buildings need smart thinking uh, and also the question, how can buildings evolve to anticipate what occupants need and desire? And I'm actually really, really pleased to have uh, Paul Fletcher with, with us today. Uh, he is principal at Through and also um, a leading uh, design think, uh, thinker here in um, the UK. Uh, and I, I saw him speak, a couple, it must be like a couple of years ago now, and it was uh, really excellent. And uh, I've been chasing him ever since about getting him to, um, to engage with us and, um, and, and talk more about, about buildings. So, um, yeah, really, um, hi, Paul, and welcome. Hi. Uh, yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, absolutely. Good. Uh, so you just, want me to make a start? Yeah, uh, just one thing I was going to say is that we, we are recording this, and I will be posting the audio um, on our website after we finish. Um, and also, uh, both Paul and I would really love to have some, um, uh, you know, participation from you guys. Uh, so please, um, you can type questions in, and what we're going to do, we're going to uh, Paul's going to go through a, uh, a presentation, which hopefully you should see, we'll be able to see now, and then I will, uh, we can discuss your questions um, af after that. So yeah, uh, Paul, please, uh, please go on. Okay. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, well, what I want to do is set the scene a bit. Hopefully, in uh, fifteen, twenty minutes or so, is my view. Uh, of smart buildings and uh, as I go through this please post your questions uh, and uh, we'll start to respond to those once I've gone through it so here we go um, first and foremost uh, what is a smart building well for me quite simply it's one that does not make users feel dumb um, yet that increasingly seems to be what's happening. Uh, the industry, construction industry, call it as we call it, seems to just continue inexorably even to digitize existing processes and methods. And you know, they think they're changing stuff, but all we're doing is digitizing what we've always done. Net result: buildings are ever more complicated, um, and uh, users feel dumb because they can't operate them. Whether it's a domestic system or a, a BMS in a larger commercial building. Um, and actually those buildings don't perform too well. That, uh, that I think, is exaggerated by uh, what seems to be the case in the industry, uh, referring to those, if you like, who are outside of this club as lay people. So, you know, everybody who uses the building who isn't part of our wonderful industry, or indeed certain parts of the profession that sit within that industry, all too often it's called as lay people. I think this is a bit of a problem. So I'd offer to you that smart building is actually very rarely, 
sorry, typo there, I think. I can't see my screen right. Smart building in a true sense. Anyway, um, the industry is kind of aware, albeit somewhat reluctantly, that actually what we do, what we design and what we construct and how we indeed operate them isn't working too well. Um, been for some time some understanding about how buildings learn uh, and indeed what people have to do to buildings to make them function after we've done stuff as the industry. Wonderful little cartoon I borrowed here that actually says the elephant isn't in the room, the, uh, the elephant is indeed the room. And um, again, not as an exhaustive list, but there is uh, some action in this arena. The, the Usable Buildings Trust, or Bill Bordas there, clearly been doing stuff for some time. That has fueled the Soft Landings Initiative, which most of you know about, championed by Bavaria, and now indeed by uh, government, and indeed the latest iteration of the plan of work with its stages 7, 0, and, and 1 to an extent, but particularly stages 7 and 0. So, you know, there is a growing interest and awareness, I would suggest. Just looking at a bit more detail, sorry about a complex slide, but just to stress exactly what stage seven is really about, a lot of people, you can see the diagram there, might think that stage seven is this whole FM arena, the cost of maintenance, the cost of running a building. I actually will argue too that stage seven is actually the cost in use to the client, the people using the building. Uh, much, much bigger impact. So I think it's understanding that that is vital to uh, any form of smart building. So let's look at how that might be, how we might start to understand how a building could be smart. This is a diagram I put together showing how a hospital could be considered in use. You'll notice right at the uh, center of the diagram there, there is a, a stick figure, that's the patient. Now they're part of a system that is the nursing system, which in itself is part of a system uh, that's a particular department in within a hospital. Then you have the bit that most people understand in the industry of the hospital, the architecture and the building physics, if you like, the services and everything else that go inside it. Then inside that, it's, it's in a wider health system. But there are loads of impacts and pressures and influences on this society at large, to the individual, to the parts that make it up, to the holes, to the uh, wants, needs, desires, all sorts of things. So what I'm saying is it's part of a bigger and more complex system. That system as well, if we're aiming for something we might call holistic sustainability, maybe one of the aspirations of smart building, we need to properly embrace environmental sustainability, social sustainability and economic. Again very simple diagram there showing how that might sit together. So um, what I'm saying, if we are wanting to look at what a smart building might be, we have to understand that a building in use is a system and that system is a complex set of interactions. The interactions between the architecture, definitely there with a lowercase a, the building physics, actually everything that goes on in the quality of that space, whether that be light, air, temperature, anything, acoustics, all sorts of things. But most significantly, the people in it, the humans, you and I, what we do and how we behave is a fundamental part of that system. So I'll offer to you that that is complex, but it need not mean it's complicated. Often we kid ourselves and we make it complicated. It need not be. Why need not be? Well, we'll come on to that. But really, what I would argue to you is that a smart building should 
first and foremost, be one that does not make the users feel dumb. Quite the opposite. In fact, it should be one that embraces the complexity, uh, yet removes complication. More importantly, those designing it and constructing it understand the outcome. What I mean by that is the building in use always trumps product. It's not about designing a building and uh, either making money from the design of that building or getting yourself on the cover of a journal or whatever it might be. What only matters is what happens in that building in use. And please, 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 let's start considering the phrase lay people as a wholly unacceptable term. It's insulting and it puts us, you know, as a, as a separate elite from the people using the building. They use these buildings every single day. So, um, biggest influence on me becoming an architect, Luc Bouzier. Oft misquoted, particularly this one, but the bit that strikes me is what he said about machine for living. Not talking about a machine aesthetic or any other thing, that was a separate thing entirely. He was talking purely about the idea that a building could actually be a machine that supported living. I think there is an awful lot we can still learn from this. Another key hero of mine, if you like, or point of reference, Negra Ponte, writing The Architecture Machine, uh, published in 1970, he postulated there would be three phases to the development uh, of the built environment in light of technology. Firstly, accommodation, merely digitizing what we've only already done. Then, adaptation, when we bring incremental improvement. I would offer to you that's where we are with BIM, particularly BIM level 2 is incremental improvement. He then spoke about something that would be unanticipatable, what would be possible with technology he knew was ahead of him, uh, it wasn't available in 1970, but he knew it would come. These technologies are with us today. He argued that it would bring us towards a more human architecture. Um, I, I tend to agree with him. So. Going back to the complex need not be complicated. Lots of things that are happening now that are real day stuff that are impacting everyday life. You can see them listed there. Most of them you would have heard of, if not all of them. But artificial intelligence, robotics, internet of things, 3D printing, nanotechnology, material science, energy storage, quantum computing. It goes on. The bit I've highlighted there, though, is the concept of autonomous vehicles namely known more cutely as the self-driving car, but uh, focus on that word autonomous, I think it's key. Okay, um, the importance of those things is such that um, in a far greater event than this mere webinar, the uh, tomorrow I think it starts in Davos, the World Economic Forum will be dealing as part of it, debating and exploring what impact the next industrial revolution will have the so-called cyber-physical systems. You know, this is the fourth industrial revolution and we're on the cusp of it now. So smart buildings or anything new that we're doing that's smart has to embrace this. All those things I just told you are a key part of this cyber-physical system, this different era of industrial revolution we are about to enter. So, smart thinking. Um, we need to change the emphasis and focus um, away from buildings, it says here, as product, thinking more as buildings as service. And those things need to be co-created uh, environments in which people and society at large can thrive. So we really need to properly engage 
with people who use the buildings far more than we do now. Not some tokenistic consultation or briefing or participation, but actually creating environments that they can interact with, make choices, and that those environments can respond to the needs of those people. Smart buildings, you know, forget them as such in this phrase, because at the moment they are merely buildings full of gadgets. Everything that basically Negroponte was saying an adaptation. What we need are these things that Le Corbusier spoke about, machines for living, harnessing the best of our industry knowledge with these empowering technologies that are with us right now, today. Okay, my last hero, I promise I won't have too much hero worship, and apologies that they're all men, I do uh, have some female heroes or heroines as well. But key, this quote here, is the fact that Einstein said um, at one point that when he was looking to solve a problem and he had an hour to do it, he would actually spend the vast majority, 55 minutes of that time, in fact, scoping question, actually working out what question should I ask. Because he said, once I've understood the correct question, then I can solve it in five minutes or less. This is profound because this is not how we do things at the moment. So for me, smart thinking, and if it's smart thinking that's key to us getting smart buildings, you know, is where we need to be. So Einstein solved these problems once he'd phrased and developed them with mathematics and physics. Um, I think for us, we solve problems at the moment with design and construction seems to me that we're very good at design. We're also pretty damn good at construction, and yet our buildings are still not very good. Seems to me it's the questions that we're solving that need to be reshaped and re-understood. This is what I mean by smart thinking. So, how does this come about? Well, one of the ways is through thought experiment. If you see there, testing a hypothesis, a theory, or a principle um, to, to, to think through its consequences. This is what I do. I call it built environment ideation. This is my route to finding the questions that need to be asked, that then engineering, design, construction, everything else can begin to answer. This is the route for me. So I would offer to you smart thinking can herald an era of intelligent buildings far more important than smart buildings, which are merely gadget-filled uh, existing things that we have. Intelligent buildings is what matters. These things will augment the well-being of occupants, and I will offer to you that such buildings will be autonomous. We cannot expect these buildings to be run by humans for humans, in the same way that autonomous vehicles are going to make streets safer, are going to enhance efficiency, are going to enhance commute times, we need to approach buildings in the same way. Buildings that have the ability to look after the, the people that use them in the best possible way. This is the future for me. Okay, I've said enough. I'd like to see any reaction to what I'm saying, so uh, James, back over to you if there's any questions out there. Yeah, we had a couple. Uh, and I've got only a couple. I, yeah, yeah, I know. Sure. So, so <laughs> we, we want some more. Um, and I, I've got a few as well. But um, I will start with uh, one question that came in quite early. Do you make a difference? What in your mind is a differentiation between 
uh, just a building being digital, a digital building and a smart building. Um, you mentioned um, there about autonomous. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think for me it, it is that. I'm, I'm nervous of smart buildings because all we see so far are gadgets in them. So you've got a gadget to control your, your, your heating in a slightly more maybe intuitive way and maybe remotely, but it's not really smart in, in the sense of intelligent. There's other things you can do. You can fiddle with your lighting, you can link your home security, your home audio, all the rest of it. But still seems to me that most of the players in that field, whether they're the niche specialist players or whether they're the big um, providers, people like Samsung, Apple and others, really are just using it as a conduit to sell you more kit and to, to, to gadgetize your, uh, your building. So for me, digital building, smart building, it kind of sounds the same. The interest for me is intelligent building, where we bring together the, the, the years of accumulated knowledge on built environments and how built environments really do perform and how buildings, as it said, learn, how they're modified and such like in combination with these enabling technologies. Then I think we can actually have a building that becomes autonomous, becomes self-driving, a building that helps a company be more productive, uh, a building that helps children learn, a building that helps people heal in a hospital, a building that, that, that helps your, your lifestyle uh, in the form of your, your home, it helps you thrive, you know, it, it positively enhances your well-being. These are the things I think that, uh, so I think intelligent building is a far better phrase than smart building. It just never gets used anymore. Yeah, well, it, it does a bit. I am a member of the Intelligent Buildings Group, which is a group hosted by SIBSI that has been kind of peripheral on the radar, even though it's been in existence for 10 years. Yeah. I think, you know, this, this is something we're going to see more of. You know, intelligent buildings is the way we need to go. Smart, to me, is just gadget-ridden buildings. Yeah, and we've got enough gadgets at the moment, it seems like. That, that's what seems to be being produced as opposed to, as you said, this kind of more... I have no problem with the number of gadgets, but it's what's done with them. Yeah. Again, right. people are answering the same old questions. We need new questions. I mean, that big question. We know how a, you know, what a self-driving car will be like, we think. Um, you'll get in it. You'll tell it where you want to go, and then you'll let it get on with it. It'll take the best route, the most efficient route, or, or whichever, and you will get on with other stuff. Big question I've got, what does that mean to a building? What does it mean to actually empower a building to say, look, this is me, this is how I live my life, this is the energy I'd like to use, this is maybe where I'd like to get the energy um, you know, from, etc., etc., over to you. Over to you, building, help me do what I want to achieve. That's a fundamentally different um, question to be answered and we have the wherewithal to do it we've got the skill it's just at the moment people aren't asking these questions so we've got quite a few now that have come in um, this is a good one here um, at the design stage and before should we be including the user getting feedback before the design from those who will be using it how, how do you see the, the user being involved in in the design process well, yeah, um, I think I think we, we we should. I think also we should leave a lot of the final design to the user. Um, you know, think of your smartphone. You know, the, the, your final layout and choice of apps is entirely down to you. So I think we could 
and this flies in the face of many of my profession being you know I'm, a, I'm an architect but actually we probably need a more standardized form of built environment that then allows end-user customization the materials that are available now uh, phase change materials color change what we can do with lighting what we can do with 3d printing demountable stuff is, is, is quite profound but to, to answer specifically the question should we involve the users in the design stage hell yes and if you like this is one area something I don't talk about and often don't talk about necessarily kindly the dear old uh, arena of BIM but this is where BIM could come to its own because BIM you know would allow and does indeed allow users to interact at the earliest stage to understand what is being proposed and how that might work for them what it you know whether it might work and if it does work how it might work so yes I very much think we should be involved with them at every single stage of the process hence, hence my, my use of co-design uh, or co-creation it should very much be done with the users we actually have a BIM question so there you go that was a, a nice segue hey, <laughs> Could you please say something about the link between building as a service and BIM level two stroke BIM level three? Uh, nigh on zero, if I'm really honest. Um, level three might move towards it, but BIM level two, as it is, is just, you know, it's nothing new. It's, it's, it's 3D modeling with some information attached to it, and there'll be loads of people out there that we go, no, he doesn't get it, he doesn't understand it. Um, I do understand it. I understand it very well, and it isn't changing anything. Um, and it doesn't really. It may has a lot to do with smart building. It doesn't have a lot to do with intelligent buildings. I think that uh, we level three starts to get interesting. But I think where it starts to get really interesting is where we 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 forget the acronym BIM. And in itself, it's a problem building information modeling. I'll give you an example. Um, everybody's heard the phrase social media and what that means. If we were to apply the same logic to that, we wouldn't call it social media. We'd call it mobile phone information communication or something like that. That's the problem with BIM, is it misses the point. Um, so BIM level three and beyond, it needs to no longer be BIM. The, the acronym is too confusing. It's wrong. We need to look at um, data in use, live data in use. Uh, I don't know if that answers or not, but that may trigger other uh, other questions to come in. Mm, it certainly triggers things in my mind. You know about so at, so when you're collecting the data from the building from all of these sensors that we're going to be putting in, <clears throat> you're then actively making decisions, or this autonomous building is making decisions based on based on that in re in real time. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the point. Real time decisions. Yes, it will learn more over time, and it will get better. Um, you know, I see no reason why it won't. But I mean, things change. You know, look, look at what the weather's doing. We finally now have here in the UK. I appreciate we have people that are not in the UK, but here in the UK for the last week or so, we finally got a bit of winter. Before that, we had this kind of pervasive. Well, I think it was autumn, really, for, for about six months uh, up until the winter just starting. You know, we've got no buildings at the moment that can react to that. So uh, only yesterday I was uh, visiting someone in a meeting, and I stepped from a rather lovely, fresh, chilly outdoors into a subtropical interior because the building just couldn't respond or didn't have the way to understand this sudden change and various other things. So... 
yeah, I, I think you know these intelligent buildings will react, you know, instantly in the nanosecond. All this information come together. This is this is where we can use things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, and such like to deal with stuff that, quite frankly, if we try to do it in our own heads, it's too complicated. Mm. But the complex uh, array of data from any number of sensors. Is, is bread and butter for uh, the computing power we have, uh, you know, at our disposal right now. Another question here: uh, What do you think, or what should be the main interface for human interaction with a building? Have you got an idea? Uh, who knows? Nat natural, natural human. Why not talk to your building? Um, you know, what, 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 it should just be a natural. You know, what, what ways as a human being do you prefer to communicate? Um, you know, I think in ways that, that makes you comfortable. Um, there's no reason that you couldn't talk to your building. There's no reason that you couldn't have, uh, you know, various forms of, of interface, of touch panel or, or various other things. Uh, some might prefer a, a keyboard form of input. The other ways you might express stuff just by using the building. You open a window, you're telling the building something. Um, you know, the minute you're in the building or out of the building, as you move around the building, you know, there's possibility that it's it's monitoring other parts of your vitals. You know, so there may be forms of communication that you don't even know about. It may be monitoring your welfare uh, and such like. So, you know, I think I think there's no limit to how we would, I, and I wouldn't wish it to be limited. What we don't want is the kind of Starship Enterprise type uh, interface that too many BMS systems seems to have, or the kind of sort of dumb patronizing smart thermostat type stuff we see. I think you know we need to be sm far smarter than that um, with, with our understanding of the possibility, if you like, of these, so hence smart thinking rather than smart buildings. So yeah, I hope that answers it. Any, any number of interfaces, any and every would be my answer. Yeah, and I and I guess one that perhaps the the building user can can define themselves. Again, back to your kind of yeah, point about customization. Uh, Another question: What about? Oh, oh, sorry, that is the question. Yeah, ultimately customizable. You yeah, know, to suit the person. Okay. Next question here: uh, Wouldn't we need intelligent construction that doesn't value engineer the smart capability out at the build phase? Rather than clients, uh, and clients paying twice yeah. to get what they actually need. Um, right. Again, this is this is a, a bigger debate, but this is based on the, the bit I alluded to the difference between service and uh, and products. I think that argument comes from the fact at the moment that the economic model that's worked upon is one based of making money through the act of design and more so the act of construction. So people are buying buildings. If people are buying service, then that changes fundamentally. So oft quoted and oft quoted by myself, the example of Rolls-Royce and the jet engine. Mm -hmm. They used to build jet engines that were dirty, smelly, very inefficient, broke down all the time. Um, but they'd sell them at the price the market would buy and then try and make more money on the maintenance contract. Today, they make possibly, if not, the, the world's leading engines um, and they don't sell them. They sell thrust per hour or whatever it is they sell with the most advanced, highly engineered, sensor-riddled, uh, you know, machine learning controlled engines um, and but that's what people want. It's made uh, air flight 
considerably more environmentally friendly, it's made it more economically friendly, and I would say it's made it socially more uh, sustainable because less planes fall out the sky than used to before. Yeah, and, and it's more profitable, more profitable for them as well, right? For, uh, Absolutely, for and I think again we get a fundamental rethink of the built environment, how the built environment is valued. This, you know, it's, a, it's a change of thing. The other thing as well is the sort of things that I'm talking about are readily applicable to existing environments. Now you have to remember in the developed world and certainly here in the UK, 80% of our building stock that we'll say have in 2050 is already with us. Now that building, that building stock needs to have its intelligence enhanced. We could do that by knocking it all down and starting again, but that doesn't make sense. We could also try doing silly things like the Green Deal tried to do, but we look, look where that went. Alternatively, we could start to apply technology, technology that's getting cheaper and cheaper and better and better to improve the intelligence and hence the performance and value of existing buildings. So I think the argument with, um, you know, we've got to change the process uh, to alleviate. Again, ask different questions. If a contractor thinks they're going to make money from uh, selling a building to a client, then think again, because I think that market uh, will um, sooner than we can believe disappear. Is there anyone in construction that you've seen who's taking up these kind of ideas? Is there anyone who's Yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable at this time quoting a particular uh, uh, constructor, but certainly the, the big contractors are um, starting to change their language yeah. and are starting to use words like service uh, and so on and so forth. So I, I think there's a, a shift in culture and a beginning to understand that this could be the case. Yeah. Uh, I think as well the real opportunity might exist with some of the big developers. So, you know, some of the huge organizations out there, the, the Landsex, the, the British Land, the others, however, um, this opportunity to actually get more from their very assets that they have already. So providing their um, customers a far better service whilst, uh, you know, improving their profitability uh, and, and margin. You know, there, there is possibility of some degree of win-win here. Yeah. And that is the... Yeah, okay, so I'm going to keep plowing through these questions. Uh, next one, it seems to me that your emphasis means that the focus should be on the software and the algorithms. Um, and this was always the issue in automated industrial processes. So I think it's perhaps a comment rather than a question, but would is that is that uh, where you see uh, the focus? Well, it, it has to be a key part of it. If, we, if we're moving into the arena of artificial intelligence, then artificial uh, intelligence exists in this, this wonderful uh, arena of algorithms and various other stuff. So yes, the quality of the code is forever going to, uh, to be key and critical. Again, look at what's happened with the other things we call smart devices, like particularly all our... Uh, mobile uh, devices in, in such a short time, how far they've advanced. Uh, and a key part of that, yes, is the, uh, the, t the hardware technology has improved, um, but nowhere near as quick as the actual uh, processing power, the actual 
algorithms and such like that sit within it. Um, I mean, this is the power of big data and such like. Um, is not just the fact that the data is there and it's so vast and it's coming at such a velocity and it's so varied, but it's the algorithms that with which you actually deduce uh, intelligence, if you like, from that data. So yes, it is very much about the algorithm, which is an interesting one in many respects because this is either a threat or an opportunity to the industry as it exists at the moment. Uh, either the industry, and I don't know about this, the professions, the design professions, the engineering professions, to all the construction uh, trades and, and, and constructing and contracting organizations need to really, really become digitally uh, aware and capable, or others will join this market, particularly, I think, the existing building market. Yeah. Where uh, you can transform a building, you know, with someone a, 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 a smart startup with some clever algorithms and, and, and a suite of sensors could do some quite profane things in in an existing building. So, uh, watch out, construction industry. You thought BIM level two was tough? Well, you've got a hell of a steep curve ahead of you, uh, and you've got to get there quick because this is happening now, and it is happening at one hell of a rate. Uh, so another question here asking if you could elaborate on the buildings as a service concept. I think you've kind of done that a little bit, right? In the sense that it's yeah. it's moving. We need to move more to this kind of service uh, th thinking as, as an industry as opposed to just yeah. churning out the same product and then leaving it with the user and, and not, um, you know, uh, just get letting them to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some some simple examples. Say maybe the, the, the workspace, you know, office environment or whatever. At the moment, most organisations will, uh, you know, rent an amount of space that they think is appropriate to the size of their organisation in a location that uh, suits mostly in a location that they can afford, with some kind of functionality or whatever in that space that. You know, it seems to help uh, or assist what they're doing, um, but that will then be a a cost line somewhere on a spreadsheet that basically says this is the cost of our work environment. If that shifted to a service-based offering, then there'd be a wholly different set of questions that someone looking for an environment in which to run their business that would be business-based type questions. You know, they'd be able to offer things about how they operate as an organization, how the, the, the well-being and welfare of the people that work for them, the dynamics of how they work and various other things, and enter into, um, uh, I, I say, a different form of contract. You contract against the service. You contract the fact that, you know, you're not just buying square meters. You're actually buying uh, a space that will enhance productivity against metrics that are measurable uh, and definable. And we know we can start to measure these things, um, not necessarily in the ways we used to, but there's lots and lots of ways where we can start to see, wow, yeah, actually the building is helping us organize uh, ourselves as a business. You know, the building is linked with our uh, office scheduling system, you know, it knows where every one of our employees is at, at any one point in time, even possibly those that are in transit, you know, it knows the, the transport uh, 
network that's bringing people to work. It can identify where there are maybe failures in the network. In London, say, for example, parts of the tube network are down or various other things. Um, and it can actually you know, help divert people or even suggest um, that people meet elsewhere rather than the building they were heading for, but actually it's no more efficient to meet in another location. There's any number of things when you start to think the question differently as to what the service mean, um, you know, how a building could actually begin to augment that. Think about it, you know, about your home. Home is service. Think about what Corbusier was saying, a machine for living. What does that mean? Start to think about the questions. What does living well mean to me? What does living well at home mean to me? And then start to think about how, how the home, the very environment you live in, could help you do that. There are so many possibilities. It, it's, it, it is quite literally endless. Mm. Yeah. And we, as you said, we're not asking the right questions at the moment. We're not. No. Uh, what about a pre-occupancy evaluation of intelligent buildings? I'm not sure I know what that question is driving at exactly, but pre-occupancy evaluation, I think, if I understand that phrase correctly, relates back to the question earlier about the role of BIM, maybe, mm. uh, and involving users in the design process. Um, I mean, certainly... Uh, I, I think we have the opportunity. I, I, I started an initiative when I kind of started on this uh, route of, of exploring alternate views of the built environment back in 2000 when I started an initiative called Teamwork, which some people may remember, some people may have heard of. But in that, we kind of coined a phrase about, um, uh, you know, building before you build and occupy before you built. Basically saying the power of intelligent object-based modeling this predates the acronym BIM, but we were doing everything that's done under the name of BIM and more, by the way. Um, but the idea of using augmented virtual reality to understand buildings before you commit to that horrible, costly thing of actually building them. And the even more costly one of then expecting someone to use it for the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years or whatever at great expense or great compromise or various other things. So if I understand what the question is, I think you know we have the wherewithal now to get buildings right in a virtual capacity and allow people to use those buildings in effect you know, with things like the Oculus system now readily available and other forms of immersive VR. There's no reason that people can't be using uh, a, a possible building solution or a possible modification to their existing environment and saying, yeah, that works for me. That works, that doesn't work. Can we change that? Can we do that? All that can ha happen in, uh, in a digital space, in a virtual space at relatively low cost. Certainly without the cost of building something and without the cost of then trying to remedy and put it right after we built it and it wasn't what the user wanted. So I don't know, uh, you know whether that answers, uh, answers there, but I, I, I think it does if I understood the question right. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, that's really interesting. You kind of talked about um, Oculus, right? Because, I mean, why aren't we or, or are we you know, creating a virtual environment so that people can go in and test. I mean, that that we can do right now, can't we? And it would seem like yeah, we can. if you're going to spend millions yeah. of pounds on building a building, why you wouldn't 
do that um, relatively in, in comparison, it would be so cheap and you'd probably get some very interesting results from it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say this moves more into the arena of smart design, maybe. Um, yeah. If sure. that, uh, that makes sense, if we use the word smart, you know, we're trying to, to get smart buildings, or in, in my view, an intelligent building, and we need smart thinking. Uh, and part of that smart thinking needs to be smart design and indeed smart construction. So, you know, everything we do before we make any costly real world intervention, whether that's building something new or modifying something that exists, should be fully modeled, fully tested, uh, fully prototyped in a virtual environment. And this is happening. People have been doing this for a while. Um, but I still think they're getting the questions wrong. So, you know, this is the point I'm trying to make. We, we have some of the best architects, the best engineers, the best constructors here in the UK, um, but the products aren't that good anymore. Um, and it's not because they haven't got the skill, it's because what they're doing, um, you know, all that effort is, 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 is answering, as I say, the wrong questions. We need to... To, to, to think it again, to think how am I offering service and this does come down from if you like the top of the construction or the top of the built environment here in the UK, the property market, the property industry, yeah. you know, that needs a wholesale shake up and I think it will happen, I think you know the, the existing model of, uh, of basically making money from trading buildings um, has, a, has a finite timeline um, because increasingly that's born on people getting on the so-called property ladder at the lowest point. People can't afford to get on that property ladder. And yeah, we can try uh, incentives to help them onto it, but ultimately they ain't going to be able to get onto it. So the model needs to change. Yeah. Uh, and we have a generation of millennials right now, actually, that are very happy. One, they are digitally you know, fluent. They are, they are native to a digital world. Uh, equally, they um, you know they they have higher expectations, and they're also very used to buying experience. Experience has a real analogy to the idea of built environment as a service. So, if you were thinking of say renting a property, and someone gave you an option of renting a space that would give you a better experience, however you might define that from another one, I think the choice is fairly straightforward and simple. Um, so you know, I think there is a there is a generation now who uh, you know may only be 16, 17, or whatever they are. 16, I suppose we use the the, the term millennial directly. But give it another uh, five, ten years time, they are going to be powerful consumers with some very real demands of the built environment. And I think the built environment is going to start looking best early 20th century, unless it ups its game. Um, so I think there's the big things ahead. There is a, a new set of consumer. At the moment, I think we design the, the built environment for the kind of 50, 60 year old greying male. Um, I say that carefully because I'm, uh, I'm, a, you know, <laughs> prone to a bit of grey myself and uh, fast approaching that 50 as well. But you know, we need to start thinking. You know, how how we, you know, with the generation, the you know, millennial generation, what what built environment. So they need and deserve, and how do we provide it? Someone is asking here for a list of uh, good or current reading on the subject of buildings as a service. Do you, do you have anywhere do you think which is a good resource? No, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to write. I'm forever 
planning to uh, fully launch my own proper website. Those of you who ever bothered to go to it, I'm afraid it still isn't there, but believe me, it is being worked on by someone at the moment. And I will, uh, I will start a blog uh, or something similar. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think there are stuff, and I read articles and occasionally see stuff that excites me. But I think most of the exciting stuff is happening outside of the built environment. You know, you need, this is what I do, I, I, I stick my head outside of this little uh, insular vacuum that we call the, the construction industry uh, and look at what's happening out there in, in, in the world. This is why I'm interested in autonomous cars and I'm applying that thinking to, to, to buildings. You know, so I would suggest, you know, things as service are happening outside and what needs to be done is this thinking and the questions that drive a service-based model need to be brought into the construction industry. Mm. More so, we need to create uh, a concept, I think, of a built environment industry, um, of which construction and design are part of, not the sole remit. Um, I think it's rather limiting that we call this industry that creates buildings uh, the construction industry, um, you know, by itself, that sort of separates us from anything that actually happens once the building is in use. So, um, no, I'm afraid I'm not aware of any, you know, reading or stuff specifically on the built environment. But I hope to provide some <laughs> okay. in the coming months or whatever. Good. Actually, when you, you're talking about cars, it raised um, a question in my head. You know, if we went back. 10, 15 years ago, like who would have thought that Apple, which the rumor is that they're making a car, like who would have ever have believed that? Can you see yeah. in the, you know, in the not too distant future, IT companies, these big giants uh, coming in and looking at buildings in a similar way, trying to disrupt the market? Uh, well, it's been kind of, dabbled with, um, I think, and a lot of people say to me, oh, you should take your ideas to Apple, or you should take them to, to Samsung, or you should take them to Amazon, or all the rest of it. Um, I, I don't think Apple, myself, will ever do a building. Um, I don't think Samsung will ever. I'm sure they won't. Um, Amazon might do, interestingly, because if you want an example of service, and I'll give you an example in a minute, on what Amazon, someone like Amazon could do with smart meters, but um, mm, yeah. I think it's not going to come from the people we understand. Someone to watch, I would suggest, is Elon Musk. Mm. You know what he's doing—that Powerwall device—that's a home energy device that is connected and smart. You know, watch that space. If someone has the drive, the ambition, and the willingness to do stuff. Um, then I think Elon might be someone. So I think we need to look elsewhere, not at the usual suspects. Um, you're right. You said 10, 15 years ago, who would have thought that Apple might be creating a self-driving car? You know, 10, 15 years ago, who would have thought Apple might be creating something called the iPhone? That's how quick things are going. 10, 15 years ago was a long, long time ago in the world of technology. The example I gave you about Amazon, I think it's worth expanding, is uh, a mentioned this in previous presentations, but as we know, smart meters, so-called electricity and energy supply meters, are being rolled out across homes in the UK. Maybe not quite as quick as they said they would, but they are happening. At the moment, these tend to make the end user, the consumer, feel dumb 
because the power resides with the supplier. Um, and this is the, the, the typical model uh, at the moment, the non-service based model. It's about you know, how can we utilize technology to better give in, you know, milk profit out of the consumer. However, once there's enough of these smart meters in place, i.e. a network of them, there is no reason that an organization like Amazon or someone similar may say, do you know what, I'm going to take over that network of meters what I'm going to start doing is offering to the consumer choices on how they get their electricity. You know, are you interested in getting zero carbon electricity? If so, we will always provide you zero carbon electricity. You know, they'll deal with the supply side and all the rest of it. Or do you want your electricity as cheap as you can possibly get it? Or, you know, other things you're willing to accept or whatever. You say, actually, I want the cheapest electricity and I'm willing to accept the occasional brownout from you know, midnight till six in the morning, because it doesn't matter that much to me then, all the rest of it. Suddenly, the consumer is empowered. Mm. You know, they could set up the requirements and the variables that matter to them about their energy and take charge of it. And an organization like Amazon or whoever it might be can beat up the big six and whoever and start to buy that electricity at a competitive price and all the rest of it. This is real, real disruption. Mm. Same disruption that things like Uber are bringing and all the rest of it to traditional models. You know, people get very upset about these levels of disruption sometime. You know, only today I was hearing something on the radio about an upset taxi driver defending the wonder of the knowledge and this, that and the other, uh, and how Uber is destroying that, and more so how, you know, self-driving uh, autonomous vehicles will destroy that. But I think, you know, London full of autonomous taxis is a wonderful prospect, not bad at all. And it need not mean the end of taxi drivers or the knowledge as we understand it. Why not a taxi driver start to manage a fleet of autonomous vehicles and use their knowledge to bring added value into that autonomous vehicle? So you actually get the human interaction. You get inside a self-driving taxi that can take you the um, you know most efficient route. Or you choose to get in a, I don't know, um, you know, a James minicab because you want your view of London, your knowledge, your experience given to you as you're uh, undertaking your journey. So again, by rethinking the questions, we start to change the dynamic. It's not somewhere going, oh, it'd be awful, this, that, and the other. No, you just need to change how you're thinking. Clearly, there are risks to do with the labor market uh, and such like, and economic inequality that this could continue to exaggerate. However, equally, these technologies and this approach could bring and ought to bring greater democracy into uh, in, into society, a, a, a fair, a, you know, a greater fairness across the board. So this goes back to an earlier question with about you know how we stop clients or value engineering all the rest of it. It's the economic models that pervade our old way of thinking that need biggest disruption. This is why this is being debated at Davos, you know, at the World Economic Forum tomorrow. I think it starts or something. Yeah. It's over the next few days. This is why it's so fundamental and important. Mm. Got a good question here because <clears throat> it does relate to um, you know we cover on on our website a lot about technology and buildings and building management systems. Question here was uh, what are BMS or BMS is not generally offering today 
uh, what improvements do they need to make? I guess that's a long list from <laughs> your point of view. Yeah, it's a long list, and I'm not about to be someone who is, you know, and I'd like to stress that I'm not an engineer or a vet, but I mean, you know, um, BMS systems arise are all generally, to the best of my knowledge, deterministic. So I hear engineers talk about set point. I hear engineers talk about temperatures at which people are happy and comfortable, all the rest of it. You know, I think um, BMS systems are all too often, they sound a little bit like Big Brother. You know, they're this, this thing that's controlling and telling everybody they're happy and they're comfortable. I think, you know, BMS systems need to be rethought from the ground up. Um, you know, they, 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 as far as I can tell, they just seem to be wrong. We need, we need to have far more flexible and reactive um, ways of changing the environment in a building. Uh, and we do, again, we have ways of doing that. We have more localized heating sources we can deploy these days. We have very clever material technologies and such like coming forward. There's loads of ways we could do that. And I think, you know, rather than, again, have a BMS, a building management system, we need to think, you know, the, the phrase in itself is right, sod the building management system. What about the occupant welfare system? What about the stuff that makes the people happy and feel good? You know, what about a system like that? This is what I mean about rephrasing, restructuring the questions. You know, a BMS system is just part of the, the same old stuff. It's part of the club of the uh, construction industry. Making things complicated. So, you know, these so-called lay people, I mean, how insulting is that? You know, are separated from it. Well, I guess what? The lay people are the people that matter. They are the ultimate client. So why don't we actually make systems that are all about them? Invert it. Start at the human. Start at the occupant and then think about the environment that's around them and then think about how how can we put a technological wrapper around that to control it. You know, we design buildings around the other way. Design them from the inside out, maybe. Uh, rather than what tends to happen at the moment, which they're very much designed the other way around. And then there's this awkward moment at the end. Oh, uh, yeah, let's put some people in it and see what happens. You know, we need to turn that model around fundamentally. Design from the person. That diagram I showed about how a hospital actually works. Never designed that way, um, but that is actually how a hospital works. Simplistic diagram, but it's how it works. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of um, patient-centric approach. Which, which is, which yeah. is what, which is what healthcare is all about, and applying that, and then thinking about that from the building perspective. Absolutely, and understanding how a hospital as a building augments and supports that. You know, I, I've, I've got a very dear friend who's, uh, who's a neurosurgeon. So, you know, he knows a thing or two about uh, the human body and certain technical, complicated bits of the human body. Uh, he happens to uh, to be based in, in Frenchay Hospital out in Bristol. Those who knew, they've got a brand new building. He hates it. You know, it's basically an exercise to launder money, in his view, and a way of building empty air in a building because it just doesn't work. And that's, that's a classic example of how we go about doing this. There is no connection between the patient that is delivering the care and the environment. We have to change that. It's, it's just wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got time for uh, one more question. Uh, guy here's, okay. um, I think he makes a point, and then I think there's the, the question at the end. Um, in the retail commercial market, brokers show prospective tenants several choices. I mean, that's, I guess, yeah, how it works at the moment. 
Um, so with that in mind, who will analyze and evaluate the building's intelligence when we start collecting it? Um, who is going to be operating this building? Uh, I, I think who's going to be operating the building? Or analyze I, it. I, I, well, I, I think the user. I think the user will make their choices. Um, we make our choices with our with our mobile devices. Yeah, we, we we don't. We're marketed to, of course, we are, and some of us might read reviews and various other things. But at the end of the day, we make our own choice. Same as buying a car or something else. We'll read reviews and all the rest of it. And we may go to various showrooms and be shown cars or whatever. Uh, but we make our own choice at the end, and I think that that will be the the, the, the case. You know, I think again, I'm talking about millennials. Um, I'm talking about a generation that's about to become the next generation of main consumers who are able to do this. You know, who who this is this is every day to them. They can make these decisions. They have the skill set, the wherewithal, the expectations. So um, yeah, of course we're going to have brokers that are going to argue the case. Uh, that their building is more intelligent than someone else's, or this one versus that one. But um, you know, proof is in the pudding, as they say. People are going to be able to see through this, and there'll be lots and lots of ways of testing it. You know, what, what, at the moment we have we have things like TripAdvisor and various other things telling us how good a restaurant is and all the rest of it. What, what about a TripAdvisor type thing for buildings? What about if actually you could find, if you were about to use a building, find out you know all the reviews based on the user, you know, the existing and previous users. If it's a brand new building, you know, it might not be the very first one that's ever been done by an organization. Read user reviews, you know, empower the user all of a sudden. And imagine if you could do that. Imagine if you look at a building and read a TripAdvisor type review of that building. You know, just or, or, or you know, independent user reviews of it. And I think this is the best way to do it. Real, real world, real people there we go again, lay people, you know, real, real people making views and opinions on buildings and saying, this is really good, this isn't so good, I didn't like that, I do like this. You know, this is what matters. Someone said here, quote of the year, occupant, occupant welfare system. There you go. You need to get a T-shirt. There we go. Well, thank you for that. I've got to check what that actually O-W-S, owls. I'm not sure that I like owls, yeah. but uh, anyway. You Whoever trade. said that, thank you very much. You trademark it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. There's lots of things people say I should trademark. As you say, I'm the one who asked the questions. Is everybody else then has an opportunity to do something with it. My skill is asking, not saying. Um, <clears throat> someone's asking what your Twitter feed is as well. So that is... It's on the screen there. Can you still see it there? You've oh, yeah. got, uh, that's my work one. Uh, T-H-R-U-T-L. I will also put... That's your best one. I have a personal one as well, but you'll get all sorts of oddities on that one. Okay. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to post the audio online, and I will put um, a link to your Twitter feed and, and LinkedIn profile yeah. as well. And I'll, um, I'll, I'll give you, Jay, a copy of this presentation, and you can post that yeah. alongside the audio for people as well. Great. Well, um, I think that's pretty okay. much uh, um, the hour done. And so it just remains to say thanks very much, Paul. Um, really good, really insightful. And obviously, thanks, everyone, for all the questions. Um, and also, thanks to our sponsor, Tridium, for, um, yeah, for that. Yeah, thank you to them. that make it possible. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, um, I'll post it up either today or tomorrow. And then, um, again, if anyone has any follow-up 
questions uh, for us, um, you can email them or, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks again. Okay. Bye -bye. All right, then. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.